You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. It is a stacked night in the NBA as we continue to just absolutely get through this season. But there's big news. There's the possibility. We keep talking about the guys that are playing, the guys that have missed a lot of time to injury. We may be getting one of those stars back. AD could be back tomorrow. The question is, what's it mean? Sarah Spain, first and foremost, how are you doing today? This is I'm, I'm excited. There's a lot of NBA stuff going on. I feel like a lot, we haven't been able to talk about much in the NBA. Now we actually have things happening. I'm just kind of juiced right now. I'm excited for your energy, and I'm I'm hoping you bring it right along to yours truly. I had a long day, and I'm ready to get into it on some NBA stuff, and I'm excited along with you because I'm we're getting to the point in the season where all of our hypotheticals will actually start to play out into more real situations. It's it's always the case with the NBA that you know eventually we'll actually start to find out if it matters that the Nets haven't been able to play a bunch of games together. We'll find out just how strong the Lakers can be and whether AD returning means 100% or good enough and we need to get him back out there and there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on him and making sure that this isn't anything anything rushed. Well, and and that's see this is the moment where I'm always going to be transparent about my hypocrisy. Yeah, I've got to own it, right? So I've been saying loudly at this point that I'm out on Brooklyn. I'm not out on the Lakers because the Lakers have so much continuity that they'll carry over from last year from the only people it really matters. That would be LeBron and AD. So the return of AD tomorrow actually really has me feeling juiced for Los Angeles, particularly because we've seen them do it before. It's the only justification I can really give to why I'm holding the Lakers to a <laughs> well, different standard well, than the Nets. Also, At least I'll the, admit that. The stat that you keep using for the Nets specifies top three scorers that are out for a certain duration of time that prevents a team from going on to win it all. It's only two for the Lakers, right? So that changes right. everything. Of course, that's what, that. you're, that's what you're hanging your argument on. You know, there's got to be something. I, look, we spent last year saying that the Clippers' lack of continuity didn't matter, and then it did. But we also oh, spent last year saying, you know, the Lakers are going to – they're not going to be able to piece it together, and then they did. So I'm just really swayed by what we saw, especially given the quick turnaround from last season to this season. So knowing that the, the Lakers' best two is just head and shoulders above everybody else as far as a best two – makes me really feel confident for them. But health is going to be a concern, and I think you make a really good point about when we get AD back. Like It's not just about the fact that Anthony Davis is returning to the court. All eyes are going to be on whether or not it's too soon, how's he look, Like what's his conditioning look like, and this fear that we see so often right now where it feels like a guy gets back on the court and bam, they're out right away. Well, and I think the length of time that he's been out and the fact that this isn't any particular moment, it's not the start of the – postseason it's not you know a specific matchup it feels like they've done their due diligence here and and I will say that Fitz you know coming off of the last championship what we talked about the most was who can possibly defeat the Lakers this was before the Brooklyn super team came together they are obviously now 1a in terms of our belief across most people's belief in the league of who's who's you know the top team the only question we had about the Lakers beyond the obvious depth question was the quick turnaround They've been in the bubble. They've played later. They had a shorter offseason. But because of the injuries to LeBron and AD, 
They've played significantly fewer minutes than they might otherwise. And it sort of removes that biggest question for me, which was, can they sustain another deep run without the regular offseason, particularly someone like LeBron, who is so set in his ways in terms of how he cares for his body? I'm not saying it's a positive, these injuries, because we have yet to get them back on the court and make sure they are 100% and back in the groove that they were in before. But there is a silver lining, which is that the thing that I felt most hampered the Lakers outside of the depth issues was whether or not their top two guys could be 100% for the postseason. I think they will be. If they're healthy, they will be rested. And then it's really about the two things. You know, there are so many things meeting up in terms of me making definitive statements. Like, I'm no longer betting against Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, or LeBron James. And I am no longer betting on the Clippers. So get the Clippers out of the way, because I've already told you, I don't care what I see. They've burned me too many times. And same with LeBron. (laughs) Like, I'm not betting against LeBron, even if he and AD come back the hour before the postseason starts, I'm probably going to still think they can get it done. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're not the only ones. Dave McMiniman, ESPN LA reporter, was on the jump earlier, and he was asked specifically if he thinks that the Stars' time missed in LA will affect their playoff performance. No, I don't think it's going to matter at all. There hasn't been a game (laughs) in March, a game in April, nor any game in May that either of these two guys would miss that will have any bearing on what will happen from late May through July as long as they're 100% healthy. And this is the organizational decision, give them as much time as they need. LeBron is progressing. Anthony said a couple weeks away. Mm -hmm. But in the interim, you get to see Anthony Davis being the number one option. He hasn't played one single game all year without LeBron James. And so this will be a good time for him to kind of get the offense flowing through him because Frank Vogel said the biggest problem of the last two years maybe for this team is what they do when LeBron's not on the court. Right. So there's some testing ground here, and the Lakers need this news. They've been piecemealing it, patchworking it. In the meantime, they finally get one of the five or six best players in the league back. The Lakers don't care about the regular season. You know who does, Sarah? The Knicks. The Knicks care about the regular season because they're actually playing well. I mean, this is <laughs> this is a stunning development in the NBA. And, and, you know, look, we've had some people tweet us over the last few days. I'm the one uh, that said they're trash. And, uh, look, I'm not talking <laughs> about the product on the court. I'm talking about the organization as a whole. I still don't you think it's going to be You did get called out great- for that. <laughs> I did get called out of that. Uh, you know, I, I think that at some point we have to realize that free agents want to play for winners, yes, but they also want to play for organizations that have all of the other things with ownership and front office. But the Knicks seem to maybe have that. Like, we've talked less about James Dolan than any time I can yeah. remember, at mm-hmm. least in years, because they're actually winning games. I don't know if it's sustainable. I don't care. Like, right now it's just fun to watch a young Knicks team that's playing well. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Yeah, I'm tempted to do what I always do, which is have a little fun with the Knicks. And listen, every time I preface it by saying my Chicago Bulls are trash, the fact that we're excited to be in 10th right now tells you how trash we've been of late. That doesn't mean I still can't mock the Knicks. And I want to get into the lowered expectations, right, that we're so excited about a Knicks team that's (laughs) barely over 500. But... They're fifth in the East, and it may not be a very deep East, and it may not be that great of a team. And yet again, like I said, they're barely over 500, but baby steps. And for what I've said about the Bulls all year, which is at least it doesn't feel as dysfunctional and poorly run as it previously has, same goes for the Knicks. I'm still not on board with delusional fans thinking every superstar in the league is getting ready to sign a contract there. But let's acknowledge 
that this is a team that's won seven in a row. This is a team that's eight and two in their last 10 games. They are putting things together in meaningful ways that might actually mean that a future return to relevance is on the horizon. Yeah, relevance is a great word. Alan Hahn, Barton Hahn, you guys know him well. He knows the Knicks better than most. He gave us all today a little perspective we need on just what the Knicks are accomplishing. They would be in fourth place in the NBA. Understand the, the, just the ridiculousness of that fact. Fourth place, everybody, would be a first-round home court advantage. Nobody's saying, are the Knicks a contender for the championship? Right. No one is saying that. That is not the question. But if you understand where this team is coming from, lottery every year, bottom five every year, awful every year, just you know, can't get out of their own way for the last eight years, really the last seven, they've been awful. So the question isn't, are they a championship contender? The question is, do you look at them now and think, they're good. Like, that's a legit, they're a good team. Are the Knicks, I guess as simple as that, are the Knicks good? Yeah. I've threatened to throw a parade <laughs> just for 8-8 eight eight as a Raiders fan. So I understand where everybody's coming from on it. And frankly, they're good today. That's all that anybody should be worried about. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. All right, coming up, an announcement today in the NFL that made absolutely no sense. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sometimes it's fun to stir the pot, and especially before the draft, you want to keep all of your options open. But some statements are just so dumb, it's hard to wrap any logic around them. And that's where I am right now with the Philadelphia Eagles. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And and look, uh, Cliff, one of the great people that works on our show, works on several different ESPN radio shows, is not going to like this take. But the Eagles at this point, Sarah, have got their heads so far up their rear ends, I can't make sense of it. As they have decided... Their beaks. Their beaks. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're fair. Their beaks are chomping at the wrong things. Uh, Their Eagles head coach has said that he's not ready to name Jalen Hurts as the starter and has come out and said, you know, based on the concept of to name any, this is his quote, to name any starter. Starters at this particular time. We've been working with these guys for two days, right? We've been working with these guys for two days. And my biggest thing is competition. Now, I understand all of that. But realistically, when you're hired to take over a job, one of the things you do in that interview is talk about your plan for personnel and your plan for the quarterback in the building. And they may have only been working with these guys a few days, but this is the same organization that was comfortable and confident in getting rid of Carson Wentz and only bringing in Joe Flacco. And not only that, Sarah, but they made a trade already that took them out of the sixth position in the draft where they may have had the ability, depending on how the board falls, to draft a quarterback. So everything they've told you from their actions is they're all in on Jalen Hurts. To say otherwise, to me, is not only insulting to us, but it'd be insulting if I was Jalen Hurts. Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, and here's why. I get what you're saying, and I think you need to have a lot of security that Jalen Hurts is your guy to make all the moves that they did. But let's go worst-case scenario here. Okay, We know that when Jalen Hurts came in, it looked like the offense – took a big pivot, and everybody was enthusiastic about how he was the answer. But he cooled off. He wasn't great, right? He wasn't so blow you away that the Eagles entered this season saying, this guy's going to be our franchise quarterback for years to come. It was promising. With that being said, if you come out and you treat him like QB1 and you make clear that he's the answer and you start camp and he sucks, 
and Joe Flacco outplays him. I'm talking here just worst-case scenario. If you come out with the enthusiasm of he's our guy, and he sucks, and Joe Flacco outplays him, and the entire team sees that, do you feel compelled then to start him anyway? Do you start off your season with an entire Philadelphia fan base, by the way, (laughs) who is extremely angry because you said one thing and you don't even get to one game before you flip that on them? Then what's the priority? Well, we said he was our starter, so I guess we have to start him even though he's trash. Or is it, well, of course we're going to start Flack. We want the best chance to win. And now everyone's up in arms before we've played a second of football. Isn't it better to take your hits now and just say, listen, why wouldn't we have a competition? We just got here. We just started. Flacco just got here. Hurts only played a couple games. We're going to see what we have, and we're going to put the best team on the field. Again, it's not that vote of confidence that you want to hear, but if that vote of confidence would be fake and you don't really know what's coming, I think you're better off taking that hit now than right before the first game when you announced Joe Flacco's the starter after you've been pumping up Hurts all offseason. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, all of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline and that makes a lot of sense. You've done a great job of devil's advocate. I think because I am up to my eyeballs in draft stuff right now, I keep looking at the draft move as the most curious. And for anyone that doesn't remember, the they, they were sitting, sorry, Philadelphia was sitting at the number six pick. And they traded that pick uh, early to get themselves in a situation where they'll now pick 12th. If you look at many of the mock drafts, shocking to me, mock draft or not, Justin Fields is not one of those top four quarterbacks Mm -hmm. in many of the mock drafts. So now you have a team that would be sitting at sixth overall that would have a shot without moving at, I think, the second best quarterback in this draft or could have seen how the draft board was playing out and tried to move up. They made such an early move to trade down in the draft that says, hey, we're going to go ahead and, and pick up a bunch of players and not worry about it. All of these conversations going around. If that's the way they're going to approach the draft, they've done such a disservice because realistically, depending on how the board played out, if they had waited patiently until a week from tomorrow or a week from Thursday, they would have had the opportunity to see how it played out and maybe address the quarterback position if they aren't confident in Jalen Hurts. So that's where I have such a hard time making the dots connect. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz talking about the curious moves from the Eagles. I agree with you. I will say this much. If anyone is going to have the confidence to accept some mixed messaging, it's Jalen Hurts. This is a guy who's been here before and has proven himself sort of, you know, as as strong as can be in these situations, self-confident enough to survive benching and coming back in and everything else. So if you believe strongly enough in him that you go ahead and trade down in the draft, that might be all the message he needs. Right. And then if you publicly say it's a quarterback competition, he can say to himself, listen, you already told me everything I needed to know with your actions. Right. So, again, it's it's certainly mixed messaging, but they might just be saying, what's the worst case scenario if we say quarterback competition versus worst case scenario if we prematurely pledge someone as a starter and don't have enough to back it up? Well, and I'm trying to figure out how his college career plays into his psyche. And, you know, that's always dangerous when you don't know somebody. I get it. But let's remember Jalen Hurts was he was the starter at Alabama, really entrenched in that job. It started to play, uh, I won't say poorly, but he wasn't playing as well as they wanted him to. Battled some injury issues. And next thing you know, he's replaced at halftime of a national championship game by Tua Tungvaloa. And they never looked back. So you've got a quarterback that's been looking over his shoulder for a long time. Now, on uh, one hand, you see that's say how that, you see that. You see, I don't see it that way. I see it as then another injury thrusts him into competition again, and he thrives and he handles it more more professionally than we've seen NFL quarterbacks. 
But is there some moment, uh, and and I guess you could take it either way, like maybe college prepared him for this and yeah. you just say, hey, no worries. Or, you know, at some point you just look up, throw your hands in the air and say, you know, like wave him like it just When am I the guy? To. Yeah. Uh, you know, so when are you the guy? D- to, to that end, Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma head coach, was on KJ&Z. He talked about Hurts and why specifically he thinks he's ready for this challenge. You know, he had a little bit different path than, than, than both, you know, Baker uh, and, and Kyler did and had to go in there and, you know, started off obviously as a backup and then got some opportunities uh, as the year went on and, and made the most of some of those opportunities and gave those guys a lot of confidence. So I know he's really, really excited for the opportunity. Not that he would ever say that. I mean, he's a pretty low-key guy, but I know he's putting in a ton of work behind the scenes. And, you know, he's a guy that believes he's ready for this. I mean, no question about it. I mean, he, he believes that this is a, a tremendous opportunity and nobody's going to outwork the kid. That's, that's not going to happen. When you're when you're the quarterback, there's a there's a difference between kind of hoping you're going to be the guy and then knowing and feeling you're the guy, and that like, added confidence that brings along to me can be a game changer, and I think it'll be a big deal for Jalen. Hmm. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, uh, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I think what he says there too that makes me laugh is that he's sort of a low key guy. And remember when Carson Wentz was shipped out of town, one of the things they said is that Carson was just so low-key compared to Jalen Hurts. Like, And now the other <laughs> quarterback they have in the room is Joe Flacco, notoriously not like really a, a, a dynamic personality for most. you know. So I feel like they've managed to accomplish the impossible in Philadelphia at this point. They've got a very dry, very low-key, very uh, cool quarterback room. I, all well, of this to and, s- go. You know, worth noting, too, that Joe Flacco is a guy who has said flat out, I got so many things to worry about. I'm not worried about developing guys, right? He has basically said, I am not going to be anybody's, uh, you know, mentor. I'm focusing on myself. So there is also a chance that whatever language they've engaged with in Flacco and bringing him to the team requires a massaging of his ego in case he's thrust into action. As someone who said, you know, every quarterback room guys help each other, but, you know, I'm not anyone's mentor. Well, we always talk about how certain guys are linked together. If a quarterback is available where the Eagles would have picked, there's going to be a lot of conversation Mm -hmm. about if they should have, what they could have. It's an extra layer of pressure that Jalen Hurts doesn't deserve or need at this point. But uh, through all of it, at least Philadelphia, by trading down, has given us an indication that they are going to try and build around him. Their actions speak louder than their words. No matter what we hear from them now, the actions certainly say they're going to try and uh, move down to an, uh, to give them the opportunity to pick up as much talent as possible. We'll keep all eyes on it, though, because it's Philly, and that makes it exciting for everybody. <laughs> Plus, Cliff's not here to beat me up for saying so many bad things about the Eagles. Coming up, the Knicks, the hottest team in the NBA, but should we buy into them? We'll discuss it with a friend next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Now, you know the Knicks have to actually be putting together some good games and some good wins for us to give them their flowers instead of you know what I usually do, which is I take shots at the Knicks because I can, because I'm a Bulls fan, and we're both been pretty trash lately. We're going to bring on somebody who knows a lot about the Knicks and is probably going to fight me just for this intro. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And in order to give you the Straight Talk, we have to bring on a friend. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. Hi, friends. Say hello to my little friend. He's my friend because we both know what it's like to have people be jealous of us. Alone. Bad. Friend. Good. And 
we're the best friends that anyone could have. We're the best friends that anyone could have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. You got the That's right. Friend of the show, occasional co-host, Monica McNutt, also a host of MSG PM, a Knicks postgame show. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. Okay, let's nailed say, I did it. that. Stosh, look, Stosh told me to do that one. But and you nailed it. My remix to the show. I know, but like, this would be my remix to it. This was a big okay. Vine video a few ago. It'd be like, go best friend, go best friend, that's my best friend, you better. So that's my friend intro. <laughs> you actually sound like you're singing that new song uh, that I, I'm sure is not new, but is new to me because I'm old. Um, she my best friend. She a real good yes. chick. She, she drive her own car. You know, that song. Can we um, just acknowledge it's, it's Monica favorite, sounded right? cool. Like Monica sounded cooler doing both of her friend intros Duh. than I sound doing anything. That's just, yeah. I'm going to sit in my corner for the rest of this. Go ahead. Go ahead. So we want to see if you can sing any of that Saweetie song, Fitz. No, I, I, no? Probably, okay. I probably can't. Uh, no. Monica, my Bulls for the last couple of years, I've been talking about how they should get relegated to the G League like European soccer. I didn't think they deserved to place among the rest of the NBA, and I would say the same for your Knicks for quite some time. But here we are talking about a team solidly in the playoff hunt with potential to be hosting playoff games. What has been the biggest difference this season for the Knicks? Oh my God, Spain! Isn't it fantastic? Um, the mm. the single biggest difference <laughs> is Tip Tom Thibodeau. Like, there's you can't say anything else. Um, and then I think second, a very very close second, is the play of Julius Randle this year. I mean, we heard Mike Breen gushing the other day on the broadcast about how he's improved statistically in almost every category. And previous to that, during the Celtics. Warriors game. We heard Jeff Van Gundy give me the only energy that I'm accepting when it comes to Julius Randle in terms of his case for most improved player in the league. But, you know, Tibbs has given this team an identity. They have a trajectory. And when you talk to the guys, even before they hit this win streak, they all said, we're doing things the right way. And I think the basketball guys are honoring that. Okay, Monica, but let's be fair. There, Tibbs is not somebody that necessarily came in with the glowing reviews at every spot he's ever been at. So what has he figured out to be doing such a good job here? Um, then I would go down his coaching staff a little bit and point to Kenny Payne in particular. Um, and I also think you got to remember, you know, when Tibbs was an assistant with the Knicks, some folks would say that he should have gotten the shot at the head coaching position and it didn't quite pan out. There is something to be said for the loyalty within this organization. I think longtime fans were excited about it. I think front office folks that have been around were kind of excited about it, seeing how he had gone to other places, Sarah's Bulls being one of them and brought a winning culture. Um, so I think that part in terms of his history and connection to the organization, and then Kenny Payne. Like, we had Coach Calipari on MSGPM last night, and we sort of joked that he's, like, the most important coach to Knicks fans outside of Tibbs, but he has the same connections. Kenny has very similar connections. I think Derrick Rose might have been the only one that Kenny didn't also work with when you look at how many Kentucky guys are on that roster, but Kenny has brought a workman's attitude. He's in the gym with those guys, and people like Flat out, just like on a very base level, those guys are putting in work, and it's showing. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jace Fitz. We're talking to our friend, Monica McNutt of ESPN, also host of MSGPM, the postgame show for the Knicks. Yeah, you know, Tibbs, uh, absolutely winning culture, defensive mind. You know, the frustrations usually tended to be with overuse, not resting guys, um, you know, how he decided lineups and stuff like that. But he's got a lot of young guys on this Knicks team 
And there was a culture change needed. One of the things Fitz and I just spoke about in the previous segment was not hearing a whole lot about ownership. We've heard a little bit, even though there's like not fans, we're still somehow having to hear about whether or not James Dolan and MSG is, is handling security correctly. But beyond that, he seems to have stepped back a bit. Is that intentional or is it just a gap between scandals? <laughs> Thanks, baby. Um, I think that it's intentional. Um, I think that part of the reason when you got the new sort of front office was to take the reins off or take the, I I don't want to say leash because that's like aggressive, but you know, like to disconnect, to really trust and let those guys do it. Um, And then it's quite frankly, like winning cures all. Like there's not much for him to be disgruntled about. And ultimately, you know, I know uh, Dolan gets a bad rap, but he wants to see this team win. And if we start talking capitalism, the more winning, the more dollars, so on and so forth. But in general, I just think that that front office has a vision. There are guys here that bought in, that are bought in. And, you know, winning just cures a multitude of sins, man. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. Monica McNutt mm-hmm. joining us, ESPN. Obviously, you can listen to her on the MSGPM uh, Knicks postgame show as well. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So uh, I'm going to ask you to look into the crystal ball. Uh, how sustainable is the success that the Knicks are having right now through the course of the rest of this season? I think it's the real deal, Fitz. And I think they're going to hit – they hit a stretch where I think they're on the road for like six consecutive games. It might even be more than that. Um, but they're going to get at least at a bare minimum a shot at this play-in opportunity, and it would be relinquished. Well, they're in six. Uh, the play-in would be the bare minimum, which I think is still very exciting. Um, but, you know, myself, Zach Lowe, he was one of the folks that said it first um, on the jump. He talked about their schedule being the second toughest post-All-Star break. And then you look, they're still one of the better defensive teams in the league, top three in overall efficiency, holding teams to the lowest lowest points per game, the best field goal percentage defense from both two and three still. You know what I mean? Um, and, and you said it. I think the youth of this group gives Tibbs a little bit more leeway in terms of minutes. Like, I don't necessarily love that Julius leads the league in minutes per game. However, Julius is also relishing this opportunity to prove himself in year seven in the league as well. So, um, it's, I think everybody's learning, and that's what makes this unique. Because even Taj has talked about Tibbs is doing more smiling than he's seen him do ever. And he's been at, with Tibbs um, in multiple <laughs> spots. So he's learning and growing as a coach. I think the guys are leaning in. And, again, man, winning, man. Talk to me when the winning streak is over. That's right now, right. we're good. We're that's right. <laughs> I, I, one of my favorite things about Tibbs is learning that he literally has the same exact you know athletic jumpsuit that he wears every day. He was living in a hotel here in Chicago, and he just had an endless stream of jumpsuits so that every day he wouldn't have to waste any time deciding what to wear, that he could be watching tape and doing his job, uh, which is so tips. ESPN's Monica McNutt with us here on Spain and Fitz. What's the fan base like? Because, listen, part of the reason that I mess with the, the Knicks is that there's a real delusion over there. Like in Chicago, we're aware that superstars never choose the Bulls. We're a big market. We're a team with great history. No one wants to come here. There's a variety of reasons why. The Knicks fans never seem to get that. Every time a big name is out there, they're convinced that it's the guy's coming. Zion now, and it used to be LeBron, and it was KD. So is this is this getting to be insufferable out there, this win streak? Are we now convinced that the Knicks are the best in the league, and here come all the stars? Spain, do you like one of my checks is from the local network? Like, of course, the next star is coming. Like, duh, we're going to win a title this year. Um, this Look is at you making say. business decisions. That's the smart. That's why she's. I mean, just appalled. Um, I, I said this recently on a pod. Um, you know, Nick fans, they are a little bit crazy, but they are 
some of the most passionate folks um, in the sports landscape. And so I, I maintained prior to this win streak, and, you know, folks can call me delusional, that it was still only a matter of time. With this generation of athletes, there's no way that as keenly aware guys are of their brand, that somebody wasn't going to be willing to tackle it. Carmelo Anthony, it didn't necessarily pan out, but he still probably would never have to pay for a drink in the city. I mean, uh, Jeremy Lin, for that matter. You know what I mean? So I think, I do think that fans are a little bit more tempered and reasonable, probably because there are pieces on this team that you can see staying with you instead of having to ship out the whole cow to bring in some marquee free agent, if that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of that's fine and good until Brooklyn wins the title before the next two, and then the whole. Yo, I'm, I'm just saying. Them, you bring me on the show to talk about the wow. Wow, right when we run out of time, too. That's, I know. I've got, that's super messed up. Monica, it's, that's how you time. treat a friend. Hey, with friends like these, <laughs> who needs enemies? Monica McNutt with us on the Goodyear Hotline. Thanks, Monica, for giving us the Straight Talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Bye, Fran. You're the best. Bye, guys. Great show. By the way, Fitz, we're definitely coming into the next segment with the song that I was singing so that you have any idea what Monica and I were talking about. Perfect, She's my perfect. best friend. She a real bad guy on call. Coming up, Fitz is looking for a baseball team to love, but is he in it for the right reasons? We'll get into it next. <laughs> You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Fitz, there you go. Sweetie and Doja Cat. I'm just saying, nobody wants to see the dance moves that I'm giving right now. Oh yeah, pure white shoulders. Like I we mean, need a, we need a, age, we need a Spain you know? and Fitz remix. Oh man, he just, my best friend. Just throwing my shoulders <laughs> up in the air, like only Love my it. shoulders are, you, are moving. Are you doing the white man's overbite? Oh god, yeah, it, oh, perfect, a thousand percent. Great. Like that's the first thing you do. I'm doing the white old, chick I'm festival white dance, yeah. the I mean, festival dance where you kind of just look like one of those inflatable things at a car car dealership. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've got a little bit of like I smelled something and I'm also biting Ooh. the lip and then like, Ooh. oh, yeah, the shoulder's going up. Yeah, like there's a little nasty stank going on. Love that. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, <laughs> ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can get all the show stuff that you missed. And sometimes we do some digital only pre and after party stuff as well. Uh, we were just talking about Fitz needing to fall in love and well, whether he'll do it for the right reasons. And that's because... Fitz is following my lead. If you may recall, a couple years ago, I did a little something called College Football Bachelorette. This is where I needed to find myself a football team. I you know, went to Cornell where even if they had a perfect season, they're still not allowed to play in postseason. That's an Ivy League football rule. And my parents don't have any allegiances to any big football teams. And I thought I'd be more interested every fall if I picked a squad. And so I did it Bachelorette style. I came up with different rounds that all had different rules. The very first cut of the 25 teams that were selected was batch. Don't kill my vibe. That was teams that I just could not bring myself to root for, regardless of their success on the field. There's storylines related to them that I just couldn't do it. Then it was dotting my eyes, great traditions, things that the team does around game day or the history that are, you know, really fan involved that make you feel good about being part of the pageantry. You know, then it was cool party scene. What's it like to go to a game, blah, blah, blah. So if each week I whittled it down and then eventually went on tail dates where I went to actual games at multiple different teams to see where I best fit in and eventually landed on a totally not bandwagon pick of Michigan. And you know, (laughs) it's not a bandwagon pick because they can't win anything. But it was fun, and we thought, since Fitz is always talking about it since he has no baseball team, that we would do a similar thing, Major League 
Bachelor. So that's you, Fitz. You have any idea how you're going to try to start whittling down these teams? Yeah. So there's a few things I can say. Like there's one team that's eliminated. Uh, there's one team that I've I've spent too much of my life rooting against for a very specific reason. So one team has been already eliminated from the competition. Can I say that? Is that yeah. fair? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is no offense to the team themselves, but the Oakland A's are out. And, wow. and they're out because I spent so much of my life watching the Oakland Raiders. And as long as the A's played, there was a baseball field in the middle of the football <laughs> right. field, and it was yep. tragic. So I've spent every year saying the one thing I couldn't have happen is the A's make the playoffs. I don't think I can root against the A's for because I want the field gone as quickly as possible. Even though they no longer share a stadium, that's still too sort of yeah, in my, my for culture. Sure. So I totally I think, get that. I think the A's are out. And then outside of that, uh, you know, I know what's important to me, Sarah. Like, you, you, Ooh, okay. you, as you talked a little bit about some of the things that matter for you in college football, like, I want to have a team that has, like, a fun vibe around them, like some personality maybe, but, like, a fun – like, I envision a world where this team is going to send me some swag. Come on. Wow. And this is we're where we start. Go, I should have yeah. known that your yeah. first thing was going to be, will, will they send me free stuff? I mean, I am, I am frugal. You're nothing if not consistent. Frugal and, uh, is a great way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, and on top of that, I, I envision a world where eventually we make ESPN send Spain and Fitz to this particular Ooh, place okay. to, to game. So it's got to be a city that, you know, Spain and Fitz would want to hang out in. Like, that, right, that, that's an right. important thing mm-hmm. to me. So, Very good and then call. I, I'm a little curious to get your thoughts on whether we should be, you know, should we be aligned or should we be frenemies? Like, how does the Cubs thing play into all of this? Because obviously you are a diehard Cubs fan. I've played Wrigley Field a couple of times. Like, I have reasons there, right? But realistically, it seems kind of boring if we both root for the same team. Yeah, I can't decide if it's more fun if we're in it together and we go do some shows at Wrigley Field and, you know, we both are hype on on, on the Cubs. It's probably more interesting if you're like a Cardinals fan or something awful like that, but I wouldn't wish that on you. Uh, best fans in baseball, uh, go follow that Twitter. Um, I I think it's better if we don't like the same team. And I know I that so removes for you the best option in all the land, which is, of course, the Chicago Cubs noted for their success and historic, historic success. Um, but I think you're right. I th- and, and we're going to have, um, I, I want to find like a lifer type, a Tim Kirkshin you know, a Rob Nye or one of those guys that's like just eats, sleeps and breathes baseball. And I want to bring them on to talk you through the things that you might not even know you should be looking for. Oh, yeah. For I sure. think that's important for someone who hasn't spent their life really de- dedicated to a team. I think they're going to be able to tell you from all the years they've spent going to the different ballparks, engaging with the fan bases and the cities and the and the and the spaces around the parks. Uh, they're going to be able to tell you some of the best spots. And, and also, I think we're going to be asking Spain and Fitz listeners who they want to represent their club. Because I think you start out making some decisions for yourself. And then eventually, you really want to get some pitches from people who know the team best and can explain to you what you're getting yourself into if you join. And so we're going to have listeners give us, you know, not yet, but we'll be asking for it eventually, who you would want to represent your club. Like, who's going to give that speech like Independence Day style that you're like, I'm in or like uh, Ger- Jerry Maguire. Like, who's with me? Uh, we need we need to get some of those, too, because I don't think you could do this blind. We're, oh, no, a thousand percent. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, Jason Fitz, Sarah Spain. 
Uh, so weird. I always say Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz. It felt weird to say my name first on that. Uh, yeah, it felt I, weird I to think, all of us. Yeah, well, uh, that's probably. I think we all know whose name comes first. That's <laughs> quite clear. No it, it's, yeah, it's Sarah Spain in like the big, like she's the, uh, the actual movie. And then I'm the one you've never heard of that was made by some indie guy that's really trying to break out of Portland. Uh, it's a specific reference. Uh, I will say one other thing that we need to factor into this conversation is like my inner fat kid. So Ooh. I got to make sure to like the ballpark food. He's got to be on point because like my inner fact, if I go to a when I get to go to a ballpark again, I'm going to eat an uncomfortable amount <laughs> in that ballpark. And I want like a, I want to be able to know that I wanted a hot dog, but now I want like donuts. And now I yeah, want you're spalding. You know, nachos, I need a hot dog, like, a hamburger. You'll get nothing like it's spalding. <laughs> um, how many times do you think you've eaten something out of a helmet? Oh, my God. I can't even. Count. Is it many? I mean, yes. Oh, it's many. Yeah. It's many. I've eaten things out of helmets that I wasn't sure quite what they were that were just left on tour bus tables. But if it's Ew, in a helmet, I'm, like, I'm going for it. Okay. I, I mean, I can remember the one time I ate something out of a helmet, and it was because it was also the very first time I tried an edible. And uh-huh. <laughs> I, I was at I was at the World Baseball Classic after already having gone to an entire Cubs spring training game. So it was a baseball doubleheader, and we had decided to name the Italian player Andres Fagiani. A similar nickname to A-Rod, but his last name was Vagiani, if that tells you Mm -hmm. anything. And I couldn't get the field to quite level out, and I was very thirsty and quite hungry. And I sat down next to my husband with a helmet full of food, and he was like, what's happening right now? I'm like, all the things, babe. Why do I like ice cream so much better when it's in a tiny helmet? Like it's in oh, a okay. tiny helmet. Okay, I've had helmet. a tiny ice cream helmet. I'm talking okay. an obscene amount, like multiple servings for oh, multiple people the big, helmet. The big helmets. You... I've only done that yeah. once or twice. Like, okay, like, like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. So your the, inner the fat kid still needs to really be welcomed in with that. Okay, well, we're <laughs> going to get to uh, Jason Fitz, Major League Bachelor, very soon. We also need to get to, we forgot to do this last night with so much going on in the news, we got to cast the coaches of the AFC North. We got into this because Adam Sandler's coming out with the movie loosely based on Sean Payton of the Saints. And we heard Kevin James was playing Sean Payton. We weren't sure about the casting, and we decided to look at every division in the NFL and figure out the best coaches for the job. So we'll be going through. I'll put it at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. And we need you guys to tell us we'll be playing all of these coaches if uh, if they had a movie about them. We'll share those later in the show. Coming up, 48 Hours to Live. It's not a movie. It's the Super League in soccer. We'll get an expert to tell us about <laughs> grand opening, grand closing. Next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We're going to head straight there for one of the most curious things I can remember. As just, just as a sports fan, from the outside looking in, as it felt like all of a sudden we were going to get this break off in European soccer and a new league and the best teams were going to go over there. And then, then 24 hours later, gone. Just, you know, it, it, I think Chris Rock said it best. Grand opening, grand closing. There we go. Mm-hmm. So let's get some thoughts on this. Taylor Twelman joins us. Goodyear Hotline. Twelman, uh, I mean, I was surprised to see it come and then just surprised to see it leave so quickly. Give me your reaction, not to the announcement, but to how quickly it sort of faded away. What a great plan, wasn't it, guys? Like, what a party <laughs> they threw. That You know, you had something planned for about $60 billion dollars. And in 48 hours, that thing was gone before you knew it. Like, just well thought out, very well played. The fact that you had $60 billion backing you up and you couldn't find a PR group to help you with the announcement 
What a debacle from start to finish. You know, Twelman, a lot of people are pointing to the idea that the American greed behind our pro leagues doesn't work for European soccer. Is it as simple as that, or is that sort of a cop-out of getting to the real meat of it? You know what, Spain, it's an interesting question, because when you actually look at American sports, they're more socialist, idealistically, than European sports. European sports are straight capitalists. You spend the most money, you pay the most money, there's no rules, there's no salary cap, you reward the teams that win, you punish the teams that lose, and so it's always weird when you actually have this conversation and you try to go under the hood a little bit, because then when you look at American sports, you know, you go 2-14 and 14 and you get the number one pick in the NFL draft next week, right? right? So or it, profit it, sharing very... across some of them, yeah. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, you, you know this better than anyone, being a Cubs fan, that you guys had to share revenue with the Astros and the Pirates and all these teams that didn't want to do diddly squat for eight to ten years to build up their team. So, idealistically, it's a real contrast to the way Europeans look at it versus the Americans. Um, Fitz, it's interesting. You're leading when you say, like, the 12 best teams. Ironically, it's the 12 most powerful teams brand-wise. They're not the 12 best teams currently speaking, and that's why everyone got up in arms because everything is based on what you do now. There's no sense of entitlement in Europe and especially in the world with this sport being the most inclusive sport in the world. So it got real ugly very quickly, and I'm just a little surprised that these billionaires didn't think this one through a little bit. We're talking to Taylor Twelman, ESPN soccer analyst. Also, you can check him out on Sports Nation on ESPN Plus. A great show there uh, with Ashley Brewer and Trevor Scales. So, uh, Taylor, when you talk about the brands, it makes me think about the lasting power. And I said this yesterday: if a bunch of teams just decided they were going to try and leave the NFL, they came back a day later, there would be some lingering sort of animosity. Will that be the case for fans that have watched these teams try and separate, but now come back to the to the flock? Yeah, the only difference is, though, Fitz, it's always difficult to compare anything to the NFL because we're the only country in the world that plays that sport, right? So let's say the Cowboys, Steelers, Packers, Patriots, and give me another team, decide to Raiders, right? And you look at the biggest brands, and they leave, and then they want to come back. Well, the NFL is going to have them. This is different. You know, and this story is not going away, guys. This story is not going away at all because whatever letter – they sign those six English clubs. There are rules and laws against signing those. And so if they sign the document that now legally allows the Premier League to file sanctions against these teams, those teams that qualify for the Champions League next season could lose that, which is immediately a $125 million loss. So this, this story's not going anywhere. I mean, you guys saw it right away. The Prime Minister of England, the Prime Minister of France, people were coming out everywhere because it really is ingrained within the culture, the commerce, and everything else. And that's where I don't think the American sports fan fully understands. This isn't University of Maryland leaving the ACC to go to the Big Ten. There were no repercussions. That's a money grab. Everything in the United States is a money grab, and we just kind of look at it and say, fine, this is different. This is different because it's within the commerce of the countries, and it's been around for 100 years where jobs are tied into those jobs and where you're playing within the league. And the best analogy I heard, you two will appreciate this, is after 100 years of doing it one way, it's like telling a factory worker they can never be a doctor. 
And that is the statement that these 12 owners said they were bigger and better than what the sport is. And every time you do that, there's always a reminder you're not. It's Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio talking to Taylor Twelman about the very short-lived Super League. One of the interesting elements I saw in the first reporting of it, and I won't have the names, but um, one of the higher-ups at Juventus was in meetings with, I think it was the UEFC. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and, and just having discussions, making agreements, doing deals, knowing full well that they were on the, you know, the I think it was the night before this big announcement. So those kind of rifts and lack of trust, I think, feel like they're going to be very long-lasting, right? I mean, Sarah, think about it. There is a World Cup in Qatar in 2022, and over 3,000 slaves have died in building the stadiums. Hmm. Like, like the fact that you guys are talking to me on Wednesday, April 21st, and we are keeping UEFA and FIFA as the high moral ground here, that is remarkable. Right. It's almost, it's more confusing than remarkable, to say the least. So, yeah, you have Juventus's sporting directors literally, and president is literally in the meetings with UEFA as they're reforming the Champions League to create more revenue to be distributed and then the next day they announced the Super League. Now, I'm saying that because it's as dirty as it comes. But nobody's surprised. UEFA's the NCAA. FIFA's the Olympic Committee. There's no accountability for any of these organizations. There's no real leadership either. So the fact that you touch UEFA's checkbook and they get up in arms and in 24 to 36 hours – they sting you, and they get back to you. But it's amazing what they can do with racism, right? They turn a blind eye. They don't mm-hmm. do anything. So I'm not going to sit here and defend UEFA. But what I am going to sit here and tell you is that that was dirty, and UEFA knew it. And the moment you hit their checkbook, they are coming at you tenfold. They did so, and then they started to threaten the players, and that's when this thing took a whole new level. It's the moment there was any kind of inkling that they could get away with suspending players for playing with their respective countries in international competition if they play in the Super League, this was never going to go because all the players are going to say, nope, I'm out. It doesn't matter if you pay them 400000 a week to then 800000 a week. It doesn't matter because the World Cup in those international competitions, that's the higher, highest honor you can have as a player. So the moment that was threatened, Sarah and Fitz, this thing wasn't really going to work. Right. So, Taylor, real quick before we let you go, does this idea die now or does it come back in some other form? No, oh, no. This has been around. I'm telling you guys, I, I heard this in 2014, and then this thing picked up steam with the pandemic. They're going to find another way. I just don't think they thoroughly thought through that if the each individual football association sues those clubs and you can't play in your domestic league, then what really is the league? It's nothing. Taylor, as always, man, we appreciate your time, your expertise. Check him out on Sports Nation on ESPN Plus every single day, also across all the ESPN platforms. Taylor Twelman. Taylor, thanks for the time, brother. No problem. Go Cards. Thanks, Taylor. Go Cubs. <laughs> Love the rivalry there. Just a little <laughs> thing. Uh, Taylor, brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear more driven. All right, coming up, the tweet that got everybody fired up last night. We'll get our reaction now. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Be my best friend.
throwing my shoulders up in the air like only Love my it. shoulders are, you, are moving. Are you doing the white man's overbite? Oh, God, yeah. It's I'm doing the white old. chick festival white dance. Yeah. So you kind of just look like one of those inflatable things at a car. car oh, yeah, shit. yeah. Yeah, like there's a little nasty stank going on. You're We're welcome, so America. White. We're so white. God, it is What it an is embarrassment painful. to everyone. It is painful. Like, I'm, I'm the guy that, like, there are certain songs at karaoke you see, and then you're like, oh, this is going to be great. And, yes, I do love me some karaoke, but there are certain songs that, you know, if I go up with the microphone, the whole room's like, no, not you. Not you, Fat Jesus. Go sit down. Uh, Spain and Fitz on ESPN oh, like, Radio. The how ESPN my go-to app. song is nothing but a G thing. I'm sure no, everyone yeah, appreciates that. Do they? Uh, Sarah Spade, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, we were on air last night. As uh, the tweet that sort of blew up social media in the sports world came from the Las Vegas Raiders. The tweet, for anyone that didn't see it, said, I can breathe, uh, and then had the date, 4-20-21. Now, that was obviously uh, in reference uh, to the trial uh, verdict, uh, the guilty verdict, and it was in reference to I can't breathe, as was said by George Floyd uh, multiple times, right? So this was the Raiders' attempt to say something in support. And a lot has happened since the tweet went up. We talked a little bit about it last night. I said at the time, you know, you can't always clap at social media departments because it doesn't always come from them and they don't always have the power to stop it. Little did we know after we would go off the air that Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, would come out and flat out acquiesce to the fact that it was his tweet, he sent it, it was his idea, uh, and that he didn't, he wasn't even aware that I Can Breathe was something that was worn by some uh, Blue Lives Matters officers in support of uh, the officers side of this in New York. He had no context to that, didn't have the correct understanding to it, and was very open in interviews, Sarah, about what he didn't know in the process. I think the the thing that, that I look at, it's it's tough for anybody, especially an owner of a team, to come out and say, hey, this is my bad. But if there's any learning tool from it for me, it's that Mark Davis is obviously not surrounded by enough people that he will listen to that will tell him, hey, I got to push back on that boss. That's not a great idea. It's not just about having the people say it. It's also about having the people that Mark Davis respects enough to listen to their input because either those voices don't exist or they're not powerful enough in his life. And either way, he needs to take this moment to reflect on it and make sure that he changes that. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right about that. But there's also the opportunity to consider that there are no voices that would be powerful enough to sway him if he's made up his mind. And I don't know that about him. Right. I think if we were talking about someone like um, Dan Snyder or, um, you know, other owners that we have more of, I think, a public understanding of, of their stubbornness in the face of many people telling them what to do and, and trying to steer them away from what they want to do, um, we could say for sure that he just doesn't have the right people. It might just be that this is who he is, right? And he, he thought he was being profound. Now, there was information that came out that made it less awful than what it appeared to be. It just felt very tone deaf, not the right note to hit, not compassionate enough. Um, it felt almost flippant in the face of something very serious. When we found out later that George Floyd's brother had said, you know, you know, I can breathe, had, had said that the family had taken a breath and and let's do it for George, um, it, it it softened it a bit, but it still didn't hit right. If they had maybe quoted him as saying that in that pinned tweet and we would have had the context for it, it would have felt very different, but they didn't. And you know for a fact, having talked to some people, that plenty pushed back on posting it and then leaving it up. And Davis had said he meant no disrespect, that he was taking the lead from George Floyd's brother and that he wanted to stick with it. The decision to keep it up now, I think, is the real question. 
your impact sometimes matters more than your intent. And if their intent was good, but their impact was bad, it might be better to say, we take the L on this one. Here's what we meant. We're apologizing to those who didn't receive it that way. And let's move on and take it down. I think to that point, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, you make a great point uh, about leaving the tweet up. And I, I try to understand from reading his interviews over the last 24 hours that, you know, he essentially doesn't want to run from a mistake is, is the logic he's given. But again, sometimes you can have logic that feels like it sounds to you, but it isn't when you look at it. And, I, and what we're really missing, if you're going to leave the tweet up, is some sort of, in my mind, given today's technology, video from Mark specifically talking to social media that can go up where he, he gives his side of, of why he did what he did and why he's leaving it up. I mean, it would be very simple for the Raiders and for Mark Davis to put something out that really answers every question. And, you know, to your point earlier regarding what we know and what we don't know, we know Al Davis very well, Mark's father. And and Al was a trendsetter that didn't care about gender, doesn't care about race. Al built the people around him that he thought could help the Raiders win football games. And the, the Raiders have, because of that, always been on the right side of it doesn't matter what you look like, it's a meritocracy there. And that, that has really worked for the team. But that isn't Mark. And, you know, Mark is someone that came out initially saying, you know, to the point of, of kneeling. In the beginning, he said he didn't want players to do that. But then he also came out to ESPN and said, over the last year, I've reconsidered. I want them to do what they need to do, essentially. And so he, he changed his mind and did it in a public way. So he, he's shown the willingness to listen, learn, and evolve, which I think is a commendable strength in, in an owner of any team. But what we need to see is more forward thinking about the impact, to your point, rather than just what's being said. And it feels like this is another instance where he hasn't necessarily handled that the way that I think he intends to handle it. And at some point, you've got to look at it and say, doesn't matter how I'm communicating, it, it matters how it's being received. And if it's not being received well, then I need to look at myself in the mirror and figure right. out how to be a better communicator. Right. And listen, this stuff is complicated and it can get uncomfortable because of it's complicated. Every day I'm learning and reading and finding out that accepted language or accepted sensibilities um, have been revisited. You know, something as simple as spelling women with an X that was intended to be more inclusive. Now, some are arguing is actually exclusive because it identifies whether you are cis woman or identifies. Right. I mean, it's it's. I'm hearing now sometimes it's inappropriate to use people of color instead of black when someone is specifically black. There's constant knowledge that needs to be continued to be engaged with in order to be up to date on what is the best practice for all of this stuff. And that's why your first point is the most important, which is it's okay if you had the right intentions here and you screwed up, but you need to be able to listen to the people around you who are saying, hey, this isn't going to work. Like, we get where you're going with this, but there's not enough context provided. Here's how people are going to read it. The reaction's going to be bad. It's not going to bode well for us. Let's take a cue from some of the other teams and leagues that seem to be handling this differently. And when the answer to that was, I'm going through with this, I'm posting it, I'm leaving it up, even as the comments fill up with people criticizing it, that's where the problem is. And that's a, that's a, that's a microcosm for the larger issues, right? If we're not willing to say, oops, I'm sorry, let me fix this, let me do better next time, that's where the problems are. And and it it hits me so hard in some ways because I listen and read what he says and, and listen to the comments he makes. And the fact that he's willing 
immediately after to talk to so many reporters and say, hey, I screwed this up. Don't go after anybody on the team. This is my screw up. Right. I didn't know I did this. I got to learn from it. You know, I look at it and I say, man, that is so commendable. But at the same time, there has to be some <laughs> Why didn't answer. Why did you do to, that earlier? <laughs> yeah, it's like there has to be some answer to not only, oh, wow, I learned here, but what are you going to do to make sure you don't make the same mistake again? Because that's really the insanity here is that, you know, Mark Davis comes out and, and just misplayed this. And if you want to give him all the benefit of the doubt and say this is a gross misrepresentation of what he meant, he still has to, no matter what, put people around him that will inform him that he'll listen to to make sure he doesn't do it again. Yeah, I completely agree. And speaking of that, very quickly, I wanted to point out, if you haven't had a chance for anybody to read the statement from the Antonio Brown settlement, I recommend reading it. And I recommend reminding yourself that people settle for any number of reasons. It doesn't mean that that's an admittance that there wasn't guilt. In fact, sometimes when there's a settlement and they refuse to reveal the parameters of it, that can certainly lead you to have serious questions about what exactly was decided. But a statement from Antonio Brown's lawyer was really a problem for me. And, um, you know, I think in the future when we have more information about it, maybe we'll get a little deeper into it. But um, he did settle with the complainant of the sexual assault case. And um, I guess that makes things easier for the NFL. Whether or not they still want to do their investigation and follow through on it is is yet to be seen. Yeah, easier doesn't make it right. Go read that, and we'll get into it some more because it's not just problematic for Sarah. It's problematic for anyone that reads it. Coming up, the Knicks could be in fourth place in the East. Right, fourth place after tonight. That means what? We'll get an answer next. Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. So many stories in the NBA to get to, and we bring in an expert and a friend to talk about him. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Joining us, national NBA insider and host of the Haber Show podcast, Tom Haberstroh. Tom, thanks for the time. Hey, thanks for having me. I want to talk about Harden and the Nets. I was thinking about this today. Fitz keeps trotting out this stat. Some, some, uh, Something similar to, you know, no team has ever had their top three scorers out for this length of time and gone on to win a title. We also know that historically teams that don't have uh, a certain level of defense have never gone on to win a title. Is this a team that can be the one that defies all the statistics that tell us gel-wise, time-together-wise, starts, and defensive prowess-wise that they won't win at all? Is this the team that can defy those? It is the year to do it if you're looking at the top of the nba across the board you have the lakers who are getting anthony davis back on thursday apparently uh coming back tomorrow but still lebron james is nowhere to be seen and dealing with a high ankle sprain and you know uh in his mid-30s so it's going to be harder for him to ramp up at this stage and defend his title there with the lakers and then you also throw in the fact that utah jazz haven't really been deep with this core yet and so even though they're on a 60-win pace, Sarah, I would look at this, this open field with the NBA right now and say if there was a year for a bottom, four, bottom five defensive team like the Brooklyn Nets to win it all, it might be this season because of all the injuries at the top and the fact that you're seeing a lot of teams who are trying to break through, like the Milwaukee Bucks and the 76ers, the Phoenix Suns added in there, just don't have the championship caliber uh, personnel there. So it is an open race. Um, I would still fade the Brooklyn Nets as title favorites. I know they're the favorites right now in Vegas, but when you're talking about seven games played together, all three of those players and still dealing with these recurring injuries, the latest one being James Harden out for three weeks with an aggravated uh, hamstring, I just really look at this situation and say they're running out of time 
Um, you know, it's one thing to have these singular talents on on offense, but really they have no defense what to speak of, and so they need so much of those offensive players to thrive at the top of the NBA in order for them to succeed because they don't have the backbone that the Utah Jazz and the Lakers have, the Lakers have with an elite defense. Uh, they need those three out on the floor to win a championship, and they have so little room for error. Tom, let's give everybody benefit of the doubt in the East and say everybody gets healthy, everybody's playing good basketball going in. Who's the biggest threat to the Nets in your mind then? Oh, it's the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, when you look at Joel Embiid and how he's playing this year on both ends of the floor, uh, he's just a monster. Uh, and then he would throw the shooting around him with Seth Curry and Danny Green, uh, Tobias Harris, playing much better this season, almost averaging uh, 20 points on a 50 40 90 shooting percentages, so 50% from the floor, 40% from three, and just about 90% from the free throw line, that's just unheard of when you have that kind of talent, shooting talent, around those two superstars and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid who play both ends of the floor. Um, I really love the makeup of this team, Daryl Morey, coming in from the Houston Rockets and making sure that they have spacing and shooting around Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. I really like what they have, and coming off the bench, too, they got some uh, bodies, of course, Dwight Howard is the most famous of them. Uh, but I really like Shake Milton, too. They've got a really good rotation. Um, I love Joel Embiid's game, and Ben Simmons, I think, is uh, underrated in terms of his offensive talent. Um, he can really push the floor, and yes, he doesn't have a three-point jump shot, but as my man Pablo Torre says, this is like complaining about a flying car not having a good radio system. Like, <laughs> ben Simmons is so good. Joel Embiid is so good. The question for me is, you know, we've seen Kevin Durant win a title. We've seen Kyrie Irving win a title. We know that, and James Harden has gone to the finals before. We haven't seen that from Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons yet. And so I just don't know when, when the game slows down in the half court and, the, and they need offensive possessions and a great shooter and creator, is Ben Simmons up to the task at that level when it comes down to a half court? So that's my biggest concern with Philly. But, man, they've got so much talent, and their, their roster construction is outstanding. It's Spade and Fitz, Tom Haberstow, National NBA Insider, host of the Haber Show podcast with us here on ESPN Radio. You mentioned being unproven, and, and I would say in the NBA more than maybe anywhere else, we wait for a team to have done it in the postseason, as everyone says, before we truly believe that they've got what it takes, especially when there are superstar-laden teams like you mentioned in the Nets and the Lakers. Of the teams like the Suns and the Jazz and, and, and some of the other West contenders, is there one that if you had to put your money down, you have more belief in actually being able to continue their success in the postseason versus others? Oh, yeah, it's got to be the Utah Jazz. I mean, their offense is insane this year. Uh, they've, they've ramped up their three-point attempts. They take more three-pointers than any team in the NBA. They get really early possessions when teams aren't set in their half-court defense. They play really smart basketball for Quinn Snyder, who's really adapting a lot of the or adopting a lot of those eight, seven seconds or less uh, offensive principles that you saw from Mike D'Antoni and the, and the Phoenix Suns from back in the day. Doesn't that feel weird to say back in the day, the Phoenix Suns with uh, <laughs> Steve Nash as the two-time MVP? But they do a lot of the same principles um, as those teams. They have great offense. We always knew they had great defense with Rudy Gobert. But now they are pairing that with elite offense, with great three-point shooting. Donovan Mitchell, the injury to him is worrisome because one of the reasons why they've been running away with the NBA in the regular season this year is because they've had amazing help, health, just a clean bill of health, and they've been able to stay on the floor with all their, their great players. And now Donovan Mitchell has that ankle sprain 
and it really kind of throws off the trajectory of their their magical run here in the regular season. You know, when you look at their ability to win games, um, it's it's largely in blowouts. And when you look at the their de- defense, it's top five defense, top five offense. That's really impressive. But you have to make sure that Donovan Mitchell is healthy because, like we talked about earlier with Ben Simmons, in the in the postseason you need guys like Jamal Murray, LeBron James, guys who can create good shots out of nothing. And Donovan Mitchell is their guy to do that. Um, they don't really have another high usage scorer like that that is reliable. Maybe you can point to Jordan Clarkson, but Utah Jazz are supremely good on both ends of the floor. I just have questions about Donovan Mitchell's health. We're running up into the playoffs here in less than a month. He needs to get better and prove that he's healthy in order for me to say, look, this regular season run, when they're they're, uh, winning games at a 61-win pace over an 82-game season, is that legit? I think so. They just got to make sure that they're healthy and that they're ready to play come playoff time. What happens, Tom, to these teams that are having great regular seasons? You mentioned Utah. Look at Phoenix. You know, you've got these teams that have risen so hard. Do they become a destination at that point where everybody wants to play? It's going to be tough for Utah uh, just because it's not a marquee situation. Phoenix, I think, is more attractive because it's so close to L.A. Uh, and, and you have Chris Paul and Devin Booker who are both, you know, uh, Chris Paul being the president of the basketball NBA Basketball Association, then you have Devin Booker, who's a young star in this league. That's more attractive that, attractive to me for another star than the Utah Jazz. They don't have an, enough cap space to work with to attract a big-time free agent. But I just think that their chemistry and their synergy, they don't really need to add much. They're already a 60-win team. Um, they, that Donovan Mitchell is a young player who can grow into his role and become uh, something of like a, a Carmelo Anthony or Dwayne Wade, a go-to scorer who's an MVP candidate in his peak, like we can still see that from Donovan Mitchell at his age. 24 years old, he still has uh, some years to get into his prime. So Utah, I don't really think, needs another star. They got Mike Conley. They got uh, Boyan Bogdanovich. These are really good players, and Donovan Mitchell could in, end up being a superstar in, in a couple years' time. So I don't think they need to add too much. You know, with Phoenix, you know, you just have to look at Devin Booker, Mikal Bridges, and, and DeAndre Ayton. Can they develop into all-star caliber players, the, the other ones around Devin Booker? I'm, I'm not as, as big on that idea. Uh, but, man, you just kind of have to look at this Phoenix Suns team and be, like, really happy with it. Monty Williams is a Coach of the Year candidate. Chris Paul might end up getting to the finals with this team if everything breaks right. But, man, uh, I, I think if you're a fan of either of those teams – I think you should just be happy with what you have right now and not get too greedy about what the, where these teams are in their trajectory. It's Spain and Fitz talking to Tom Haberstroh. we got to let you go, but I want to quickly ask about 30 seconds. Is there an NBA story when you're doing this all day and all night on the pod and, and, and doing all your reporting that we're not spending time on because we're focusing on the Knicks streak or Harden or the, the Lakers? Well, it's, it's Stephen Curry. I mean, i I, I got to say that, that that story, the fact we haven't talked about it yet, the run that he's on, 40 points per game over the last month. Having a little bit of a stinker tonight, but uh, that is something special. Do not look at the record of the Golden State Warriors and say that is not watchable basketball. You need to watch Stephen Curry every single night. He is Great. very much like Barry Bonds <laughs> in the 2000s and Ken Griffey. You've got to watch Steph Curry. He is sensational. Agreed, and no matter how you read the t- term MVP and semantically 
deduce what it means. Uh, he's in the mix for me and will be as long as he keeps playing like this. Um, some incredible statistics coming out of that guy of late. Hey, thanks for the time, Tom. Appreciate it. You got it. Anytime. Thanks, Tom. Tom Haberstro, National NBA Insider, host of the Haber Show podcast, here with us on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. Coming up, the numbers may show that America has their next Jeopardy host in mind, plus one of those crazy Curry statistics I just mentioned. Coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I mentioned uh, some of those crazy Steph Curry statistics lately when we were just talking to Tom Haberstroh. You've heard a bunch of them. As of a couple days ago, he had hit 72 three-pointers in 10 games, most ever in a 10-game stretch. Longest streak of uh, 30-plus point games since Wilt Chamberlain. You know, all sorts of, you know, leads the NBA in scoring, yada, yada. This is the one I saw fits that really stood out to me. Okay, Steph Curry has 21 career games with at least 10 three-pointers. Second to him is Clay Thompson, who has five. Okay. <laughs> he has 21 career games with at least 10 three pointers. Clay Thompson has five. Steph would be third on the list if you just counted the five games this month during which he had four 10 pointers in four of those five games. Oh, my God. No one Man. else in the league has more than three. So if you only counted five games this month when he had five, he had. Four out of those five games with at least 10 three-pointers, he would be third all-time. And he blows away the list. 21 career games with at least 10. Clay Thompson second with just five. Now, it's a different time, right? You're, you're jacking up threes in a way that players never were before. It was, it was a lot for a team to put up that many in a game. But it's still unbelievable, right? He just yeah, and cracked the, the code you know, in, the, in the game. We always talk about how they're jacking up threes more than ever, but let's also acknowledge that they're making threes more yeah. than ever, too. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. the one thing. And I've seen the guys on TNT have this argument with Barkley before where, you know, he talks about the change of the game. And it's like, well, all right, Chuck, you could throw up a bunch of threes, too. You weren't going to make them. Like, right. there, there is some level of the new NBA. I don't know that for play. sure. I will say that I do think there are a lot. And even Steph himself said, you know, if Wilt had, had been playing during a time, he would have figured out how to shoot threes. And he probably sure, would have yeah. had a lot more points because he had to go two at a time to get to what was the franchise record before Steph passed him. But, yeah, it's still unbelievably impressive and Listen, if you're the person, it's sort of like I used to get frustrated watching James Harden when you couldn't tell if it was a travel or not. And then I heard it explained, as he said, you get two steps. No one said they had to be forwards. And I was mm. like, okay, okay. Like, yeah, listen, if you want to be, you know, the Silicon Valley of basketball and be a disruptor like Steph was with shooting from half court and now you are with your step backs, like, I'm, I got to respect that, right? Even if it kind of takes you out of the moment and makes you see the game differently. That's that's the kind of stuff that changes the game. So I think Steph is absolutely crushing it lately. The funny thing to me is the absolute counter to Steph is Zion. And like uh, we're sort of sleeping on how much he's living up oh, to yeah. the hype, you know, but yeah. uh, the stats and info group had a great uh, nugget that put out earlier today uh, that Zion had 33 points, shot 14 and 19. But the important part is it was the ninth game where he scored 30 points without making a shot mm-hmm. outside the paint. That's yep. as many as the rest of the NBA yep. combined. That's so wild. I love that that, yeah. that that logically you got Steph shooting from anywhere, Zion shooting from right here, and you still can't well, stop him. And I would love if that were the NBA now, where there are so many different ways to succeed, and it kind of is. But I get the frustration that some people have with the dominance of the three. It does change the way the game is played, and for some, maybe not as aesthetically pleasing. When Steph and Clay are doing it, sure. 
But when teams aren't as effective, we all talk about when the Rockets forgot how to basketball. When you're not effective and all you do is jack up threes, it's not a fun watch the same way. So I love seeing guys like Zion and Giannis and those guys get it done in the paint. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, I've been catching up on my Jeopardy. Uh, I like to watch it with my husband so that someone can witness how smart I am. Lately, he's been dozing off midway through my excellence, which is frustrating. But I'm about six episodes into Aaron Rodgers' two-week turn as the co-host or guest host, I should say. And the ratings have been through the roof. Spiked 14% from the week before he hosted. So he has been absolutely bringing in the eyeballs. And Fitz, I don't know if that's just sports fans being unbelievably loyal in a way that, say, you know, Dr. Oz's fans might not be or Mayim Bialik. Um, I don't know if it would be that way if he was on all 46 days a year that they tape doing all the shows or if it's just the novelty of it. But I think he's done a really nice job, and I'm pretty sure Jeopardy's at least going to take a look at the fact that the ratings are so up for him. I mean, they have to, right? There is a spot where he becomes a conversation maker. And you're right, maybe if he's in that seat all the time, it isn't the same. But I don't know. There is a an attraction to all things Aaron Rodgers that seems to sort of transcend whatever he's on. So if he's hosting Jeopardy, people are going to watch. And by the way, he also did a really good job. Uh, you know, yeah. that, that has to play into this. As much as it's easy to say, well, yeah, people watch him for, for Aaron. He did a great job in actually executing it. I mean, I can barely read, and he managed to pronounce words. I still don't know what they are. So it's a reminder. He taught me sack butt. (laughs) Sack butt is a word that I will use moving forward whenever I have the chance, which will be almost never, because it is an antiquated and outdated trombone. No? Okay. Who knew? An early early, uh, iteration of the trombone is called a sack butt. And I just like the word so much and the fact that no one on the show knew it. And he even said, I haven't heard of it either. And I felt like we all learned something together. There, is, there are so many comments I could make right now that would get me <laughs> probably in a lot of co- trouble with the bosses. So I just, I won't say anything about it. I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm out. I'm out completely. I, I appreciate but- that. It's making me think of a <laughs> very specific pig gif. And if you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm yep. talking about when I say sack butt. And if you haven't, then no worries. You'll wow. happen upon it one day, and you'll be like, now I get it. Now have I you, get have it. you tried to qualify for Jeopardy? One of the guys I toured with qualified for Jeopardy multiple times. I'm not going to lie. Lately, I've thought about the, it. Yeah. You should. You go into like um, a lottery, though, after you've qualified, so you don't know. Like He qualified four or five times, but he right. would sit in the front lounge of the bus with a little buzzer. that, like He had a little oh, hand, wow. hand trigger oh, just to practice. Like, yeah, no, yeah. He, he's, I don't know if he So had, here's he's, the thing. I feel like sometimes when you're watching Jeopardy, it's a little bit like guys who play hoops at the YMCA, and they get home and remember all the good plays they make and mm-hmm. completely forget the turnovers, the missed passes, the, the air balls. I feel like in Jeopardy, when I get to a category like, say, the Bible that I know nothing about, and then I just let it blow past me without a care in the world that I couldn't answer a single one, and then I just cue back in on, like, ends with double L, and I'm like, got it. You know, like, that, I, I think it's more important when you take the test that you don't just biff entire categories like I do with I ones like that. I think you could become, like, America's favorite contestant if you would Ooh. just, like, chime in on the first one and say, hey... Hey, Aaron, just just so you know, I want to take this whole category off. So, you know, yeah. anytime yeah. we get one in this category, I'm not going to take any chances with my money. Yep. I'm just going to let everybody else have a shot at it. I will say the older I get, the more I realize that, like, older people are not as smart as I thought. They just have been around long enough to know stuff because that's what I'm becoming. Okay. Although so I yeah. do want to sit next to, like, Mina Kimesford and be like, all right, still dumb. Still, I, yep, uh, yep, uh, humbled yeah. by that. 
but see, I have this theory when it comes to like watching. We all grew up with like our moms and dads being able to like do these things, and you'd marvel at it and say, "Man, my dad knows everything about right. how to fix stuff." What I realized is, is that by the time I was old enough to watch my dad fix things, he'd already spent like twenty years screwing it up. Because like I'm pretty <laughs> yeah, good now totally. at fixing things. Like if I had a kid, they'd be like, "Oh, he's so handy," and I'd be like, "Look, kid, you should have seen me in my twenties. <laughs> all I did was break stuff." So like I think that there is some life experience that, that sort 100%. of allows for that. Yeah, I'm all in on one hundred percent. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. By the way, we uh, we casted a bunch of coaches again. We've been doing this almost every night. Tonight was the AFC North, so you guys finally got to send me 8,000 pictures of Omar Epps to play Mike Tomlin, and you guys are all right. Yes, that is absolutely correct. Also, I've been told that after the Kevin James, uh, Sean Payton announcement, the Ravens actually ran a poll the other day with selections to play Harbaugh, Paul Rudd, Kyle Chandler, Tom Hanks, Jim Carrey, uh, Paul Rudd, the victor in that poll. So we've already gone through a couple of these. There's some other really good ones on the timeline that I retweeted. Um, I had no idea that Kevin Stefanski is basically just Kurt Warner. Mm. Uh, it's not something I realize. He's also Mark Ruffalo. He's also Jim Caviezel. Got a lot of them. I also kind of forgot that the uh, the Browns coach looks like a kid, like a, like a child. <laughs> Zach Taylor looks like a child. Uh, anyway, go to our Twitter. You can see all the fun casting. You guys did a great job, as always. Freddie and Fitzsimmons are coming up next. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.